unexpectedly asked me what I'd be preaching about this morning, and I told him that I had this great message on the topic of, of worms. Um, W-O-R-S, like the slimy, creepy, crawly things, that's the title. The red worm. And, and when I told Mr. Heckerly that I'd, I'd like to, to preach on this topic of worms, uh, he did not respond with the overwhelming enthusiasm that I, I had anticipated that he would. Uh, I was surprised too. I, I was really surprised. But the Bible has lots to say about worms, believe it or not. And the stuff it has to say about worms is simply amazing. It really is. Uh, I have no way, humanly speaking, to explain to you how the Bible predicts the things that it does that you're going to see uh, as a part of this message this morning. The only explanation I got is that the book, the book is inspired by God and written by men who spoke, and, and, and the Bible still speaks on God's behalf. But before we get started, uh, I wanted to further bring you into the experience this morning, because when I think about uh, worms, I think about gummy worms. I don't know about you guys, but that's where my mind automatically goes. So do we have a couple seniors, maybe, here in the front row? Uh, maybe give everybody one or two. I think I... Got plenty, maybe you could pass those out and kind of walk around and hand those out. Right. I thought maybe I could buy your affection this morning, so that's what I was going to try to do. But uh, take, take one or two of those come around. You guys might actually have to walk around and kind of disperse those. Feel free to, or else it's going to take you forever. Okay. All right, well, if those are getting passed around, don't let them distract you too much because uh, this is a message that, that you're going to want to pay attention to, uh, not because I'm some fantastic preacher, but what God says to us through worms is simply amazing. I mean, it, it blows my mind at least. So if you would, turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Judges chapter 10, and uh, if not, we can, uh, you can reference the screen up here. We'll be in the first couple verses, Judge, Judges chapter 10. Wow. So the verse says, After the time of Abimelech, a man of Issachar named Tola, Tola's our subject today, this man of Issachar named Tola, son of Pua, the son of Dodo, rose to save Israel. Alright, so, so first off, we can't just continue without appreciating these weird Hebrew names, okay? That would be so unlike me. Uh, how many of you, just out of curiosity, show of hands, how many of you are named after a person in the Bible? You would be? All right, tell me your name. Seth. Seth? Rebecca, who else? Elizabeth writes a thing Christians do. Like the par our parents, you're going to do it. You're going to name your kids after Christians, right? We all do it. Uh, but I wonder, how many people in here are named Pua? Any Puas? No. Any, any Dodos? <laughs> no? All right, well, that's, that's surprising, actually. I was very surprised to hear that. When you get home... Ask your parents if uh, Pua or Dodo was in the running for, for your, your name. Well, how would you like to be the man named Pula and have your daddy's name be Pua and your granddaddy's name be Dodo? Like, it would be hard for you to get respect, right, if you had the name of Dodo uh, or Pua. But anyway, the, the verse goes on, and it says, He, that is this Pula, the subject of our message, he lived in Shamir, in the hill country of Ephraim. He led Israel 23 years, then he died, and was buried in Shamir. So this Tola, the guy we'll be, be talking about this morning, he was a judge, he was a defender of Israel. And he was a man living, if you notice in the text, outside of his tribal area. 
He was from the tribe of Issachar, the verse tells us. But he was living in the country of Ephraim. Even though he was still in Israel, he was a foreigner of sorts, you could say. You know, it would be like moving for us to a new state. You're still in the same country, but you crossed over the lines, right? You went to another state, a new territory. Everyone still kind of looks the same, but they kind of talk a little funnier over there, right? And as far as this Judge Tola goes, there's not much in the Bible about him. That's it. This is it. Two verses about Tola. That's all we get. Like Judas Iscariot, he got lots of page time, right? But this great defender who ruled Israel for 23 years, he gets two measly verses. So why would God include this small story in the Bible? Why do these two sentences matter to us? Is it just to simply record history so, so we have a historical account of what occurred in, in Israel's past? You know, I mean, it's true that this account is real history, and this Tola actually did serve as a judge. And it's important that we know that. But that's not the primary reason this and the rest of the Old Testament were written. The Bible contains history, but it's not simply a history book. You know, I've used, uh, if you've been uh, using the, the Old Testament as a history book primarily, then let me tell you, you are missing the revelation of God. God wrote this book of Judges and, and these two obscure sentences about Tola to, to communicate with us today. He gives us his words on paper so that we can know him intimately. And God has something to say to each one of you this morning. If you'll just simply open up your heart and you'll listen. You'll, and you'll receive his word as truth this morning. Are you willing to do that? So Tola, right? He, he defended Israel. And other judges in this book, they're said to have delivered Israel from foreign oppressors. But we're told Tola simply defended his country. He was known as a defender of his people, and that's important. And what I've discovered in studying the book of Judges at length is, is that all the judges in the book of Judges point us to Christ in some future aspect of his life. They, they all, within their own confines, within their own time, they point to some aspect of Jesus. And so if you go through and you study each of the 12 major judges and even the minor ones, you'll see that each one points to, to some future aspect of Jesus, of his, of his ministry, of his life. Now Christ, of course, he would come some 12 to 1400 years later in the future. But the entire Testament, with the judges included, constantly points its readers, you and I, toward Christ, and the fact that God would come to deliver his people and to defend his people. And we know this fact to be true about the Old Testament because Jesus once said to some pious religious leaders that he was kind of coming down on. He said this, he said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. See, the New Testament didn't exist when Jesus walked the earth and made this statement. You know, Jesus was saying that everything in the Old Testament was written down to give you a preview of his coming, of his ministry, of his fulfillment of prophecy. The fact that the Bible could point its readers toward the coming of Christ thousands of years before he came is why the Bible is no ordinary book. The Bible says things, it records things, it, it, it predicts future things that only God himself could have known in, in advance. There's simply no other explanation other than its origins are divine. So that brings us back to Tola. 
this judge, this defender of Israel. And like Tola, a defender is something Christ would later be called. See, Christ defends us as the children of God from the accusations of Satan. The Bible says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters, that is Satan, who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Amen? See, see, Christ is our defense. He's our defender. Satan stands before God constantly accusing you and I of sin. Constantly accusing us of not living up to God's glorious standard. Constantly accusing us of, of the wrongs that we've committed from straying the path. And you know what? In this instance, Satan is actually right. For once, Satan speaks the truth to God when he accuses us before him. You know, we've all sinned. We have all strayed. None of us have lived up to God's glorious and righteous standard. And each one of us has done wrong. You and I are blemished with sin. Our conscience, our, our, our feelings of guilt and our shame testify to us that we are guilty. We find ourselves defenseless and deserving of the penalty that is death for violating the laws of the holy God that Satan accuses us of. But the amazing thing is, Nebraska Christian, is that our defender, Jesus Christ, he points to the nail marks in his hands, and he points to the scars on his back, and he points to that empty tomb and the cross at Calvary, and he tells Satan that slippery snake. He, he says that the sins of those that he accuses has been paid for in full. And not only have they been paid for in full, but they have been removed as far as the east is from the west. And that they have been put out of God's mind and forgotten. And that if God's children have Christ and are found in Christ, then he says that the accuser, the, he says to this accuser that there is then no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? See, through the holy blood of the Lamb, that is Jesus, our penalty for doing wrong has been paid. And now we're able to go free. We're forgiven. Amen. Tola, like Christ, he's a defender. He, in our story, he defended Israel. And Tola had a father, and his father's name was Pua. Pua sounds like something you do when you like cockaloogie or you get hit in the stomach, right? Pua. Maybe just me. But the, uh, then, uh, you know, Pua, uh, then uh, Pua had this, uh, you know, the literal meaning of Pua, uh, the word means splendid, if you're wondering. It's Pua is splendid. And then Tola's granddad then was named Dodo. And believe it or not, Dodo actually means beloved or beloved. So dad is a splendid and granddad is beloved. Who else in the Bible has a father who is described as both splendid and beloved? It's Jesus, of course. It's a picture of the Father God. Tola yeah. is a picture of Christ. He's a foreshadow of the Messiah to come. So with Tola's father having amazing names, you'd expect Tola himself to have an amazing name too, right? But Tola's name doesn't mean splendid or beloved. The name Tola actually means scarlet, like a color red. But the name Tola also means worm, the creepy crawler thing. And for a thousand points, how many of you can tell me that NBA superstar uh, who went by the nickname The Worm? Shout it out if you know it. Yeah, right? Dennis Rodman, the worm. But besides Dennis Rodman, who in here would enjoy having the name of worm as, as Tola? Anybody? Didn't think so. Nobody would, right? And think about it. If you're this guy Tola, that means you're a new guy. 
living in a, in a different state, or in Tola's case, a different tribal area, and you've come uh, to this place and you have a name of Worm. Like, that would be horrible for you, wouldn't it? So, uh, is there anyone here that's freaked out by worms? You don't like worms? You're like, disgusting, right? Okay, well, this is for you. You're going to hate this, but I put that up there just for you. Does anyone have a, a, a gummy worm or two left that you haven't eaten? Okay, now's the time you want to pile it in. You want to eat that as you're looking at the picture, okay? <laughs> Who could have predicted the Bible would give us this opportunity to, to grow so many people out? Like, thank you, Lord. Jesus, you are amazing. Your grace is divine. <laughs> Well, the name Tola means worm, but it also means scarlet or red. And you say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why does Tola mean worm and scarlet? How are those two things even remotely connected? Well, back in the day in Israel, when people wanted to make dye to, to color cloth or fabric, they couldn't go to Walmart or the craft store. Like, uh, you know, they were, they were closed at the time. I understand. So, so what they do is that they would get a bunch of these tola worms, these red little pancake-shaped worms. They look like this. And uh, these little worms, or grub-looking things, their technical name is actually Hermes Vermilio, okay? So that's the tola. So ancient people, including the Israelites, they get a bunch of these little specific kind of red worms, and uh, they put them in a container, and they start mashing them all up, right? It, it was glorious. It was amazingly glorious. And, and once they were all mashed up, they would make this red, pasty, gooey stuff uh, that, that would kind of look like this, and they would refine it, and they would make it into this red dye that you see in the photo. And this dye was then used to color clothing and other stuff. So that's why tola means both worm and scarlet. And people still do this today, by the way. They, they still mash up these worms and make dye. Like, I don't know why. Like, I think I would rather dye. No. <laughs> Not even, not even a pity laugh for that song? <laughs> All right. Amen. <laughs> I get it. I've heard that one before. <laughs> but now this is where things start getting interesting, okay? And this is, and this is where they become supernatural in their origins. And this is why I believe the two-sentence account of Tola is recorded in the Bible for us today. See, when a female Tola, when, when she goes and when she gives birth or she reproduces, She'll climb up onto a tree, much like you see happening on this slide. It'll climb up the tree, and it'll find a limb of that tree to attach itself to. This female Tola goes to that tree voluntarily, and knowing that it is on that tree, that she's going to die. What? But it goes to that tree anyway to give its life to its many offspring through its own death. So this Tola worm then pierces the bark of the tree and withdraws from the tree sap. And the sap that's withdrawn then literally glues, or you could say fastens, the worm to the tree in which it will give its life on. And this process, once this, this worm is fastened, it's, it's irreversible. The fate of the worm is forever sealed. You see that on this picture. You know, this tola, once attached to a branch of this tree, then she'll expand and she'll blow up like a balloon and she'll cover her eggs with her body to protect, to protect these eggs from any predators like spiders or birds that would seek to do them any harm. While these, off, uh, while these offspring remain in and abide in their mother's covering, nothing from the outside can bring them harm. See, when the tola then gives birth, it quite literally explodes and begins to die. 
Then I mentioned, uh, by the way, if you haven't eaten your gummy worm, you can go ahead and do that now as you're looking at these pictures. Well, listen, new life at this point is given to many tolas. You see the many tola coming forward because one tola died first on a tree. So these newly born tola, what they'll do when they are birthed is they will begin to eat the body of the mama tola who has exploded, but is, who, is, who is still yet alive. And the offspring then eat the body so that they can gain enough strength and enough nourishment to be able to climb down the tree and start their new lives. Now while the new offspring are beginning their new lives, left up on that big tree, on that tree is a big red scarlet stain left over from Mama Tola after she had exploded. This leftover stain then sits in the blazing Middle Eastern sun for precisely three days. After this three-day period, this red spot where this tola died, where its blood was spilt, where its body was eaten, it begins to change color then. And this entire area then turns into a fluffy, powdery substance, and it turns white. It is pure as snow. See, this powdery substance then literally starts to flake off of the trees and fall to the ground, much in the way that snow falls to the ground. Now, now follow me here, Nebraska Christian, because I, I didn't come here to talk to you about worms today. See, Jesus Christ called himself a worm. And not just any worm, but Jesus referred to himself as a tola. The typical word, the, the normal word for, war, for worm in general in everyday Hebrew was the word ramah. But Jesus doesn't call himself ramah in the scriptures, but he calls himself very specifically tola. He doesn't just say that he's any old worm, but he says that he is a Kirby's vermilio, this specific red worm, the tola. And you're probably wondering where exactly Jesus referred to himself as a tola or red worm. Well, Psalm 22 is a song that was written by King David. And this song was written a thousand years before Christ came to the earth. And it was written 500 years before crucifixion on a cross was even thought of or made into a form of execution. But this psalm, in vivid and minute detail, describes Christ going and dying on the cross. It starts out with this phrase. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These, of course, being the very words Christ spoke from the cross a thousand years later. See, even though we know it's King David who literally wrote this song about circumstances happening in his own life, it also foretells in detail what would occur when Christ would go to the cross. See, even though it's King David writing, it's Christ talking to us in the first person. Psalms 22 is a prophetic memoir, you could say, of Christ about the events that would take place in and around and surrounding his death on the cross. So this psalm goes on, this amazing psalm, goes on in verse 7. It says, all who seek me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. You know, Christ was mocked. He was insulted while on the cross. As the gospel accounts written over a thousand years ago or uh, before this time or later records. Then the song goes on and says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. See, when Christ was crucified, his arms were pulled out of his joints. From him struggling against his own weight on the cross and trying to constantly support himself to prevent immediate suffocation. See, when Christ died, we know, too, that his heart was pierced by a spear from a Roman guard. The Bible tells us that not just blood, but water, too, was poured out of him. 
His heart, in a very literal sense, both exploded and melted. The psalm says, my mouth is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You know, we know that Jesus, he grew thirsty on the cross. He requested a drink. And then this ancient psalm that only God could have constructed says probably most convincing of all, it says dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothing among them and cast lots for my garments. See, Jesus' hands and feet were pierced. None of his bones were broken. And Roman soldiers stood at the foot of his cross, casting lots to win his garments as he was being crucified. Now what I want you to see today from this psalm isn't just its amazing prophetic nature. I, I don't even want you to see that there is no human explanation as to how this prophecy could be completely fulfilled a thousand years later when Christ would come and fulfill it. But I want you to see how it relates to Tola, the red worm. Verse 6 of the same psalm, Psalm 22, the psalm says of Christ, he says this, he says, But I am a worm, a tola, and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. See, Jesus said, I am a worm, I am a tola. And Jesus is very specific on which type of worm he identifies himself with, and that's for a good reason. See, just like the tola worm, would go willingly to a tree to die. Jesus, too, would go to a tree, a cross, and he'd give up his life. And like this next slide shows, Jesus would go to that cross, this tree, and he would be fastened to its limbs, knowing that for others to have life, that he would first have to die. It's here that he would establish a covering of atonement for all those who would later believe in his name and become God's children. And like the Tola worm laid a covering over its offspring, Christ promised that if the offspring of God, his children, would abide in him and remain in him, that no enemy could ever harm them or lay claim to their soul. See, when Jesus died, the pericardial sac around his uh, heart started filling with water because of all the trauma that he had endured from the beating that he took. And we see that in the next picture. When that Roman soldier then stuck that spear into his heart, Jesus' heart exploded. It turned to wax and it poured out. And just like the Tola worm literally explodes when it gives birth, Christ's heart too, you could say, exploded. But then as the next slide shows, before these new Tola worms leave the tree, they eat of the body of the parent Tola who died for them. The night before Christ died, the Bible says, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, he broke it, he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given or broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. See, Christ and his word are our nourishment as his disciples. It gives us the strength that we need. These things give us the strength we need to live once we've encountered the cross. So then having then died and having exploded this total worm, right, leaves a scarlet mark on the tree. The Gospels say in the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup of wine, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out to you. His word is our nourishment. His blood is our redemption. In his blood is the forgiveness of sin. See, the Tola worm going to a tree and dying, having its flesh eaten by its offspring, having its blood then poured out for them, it's a picture of communion. 
It's a picture of Christ's own body being broken for us and shedding his own blood for us so that we ourselves could be redeemed. And after Jesus then died on the cross, he was laid in a tomb. He lay there dead for three days before rising again to new life and being able then to offer us eternal life and complete forgiveness from our sins. The total worm dies, and for three days, its scarlet red remains remain stuck to that tree. The scarlet red stain then turns white and becomes like powder when it falls to the ground gently. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. See, the parallels between Jesus and Tola are absolutely amazing. You know, why did God include these two verses uh, in this story about Tola in the 10th chapter of Judges? Because Tola foreshadows and prophesies Christ a thousand years before he came to this earth. And so you can be absolutely sure of this fact. I want to give you a brief lesson on, on the Hebrew language before we, we close this morning. This is amazing. Let's take two more minutes. So here's the, the Hebrew language. The, the Hebrew alphabet, if you will, contains 22 letters. And Hebrew language is, is unlike English letters uh, in, in, in the fact that each letter in the Hebrew language has an associated meaning. The closest thing we get to this in the English language is like the word I. Um, I can be a letter, but it also has a meaning. It can be, be me. It can be ownership of something. That's how Hebrew words work. They all have an associated meaning. So the word tola is made up of four Hebrew letters, T-O-L-A. Um, those four letters are highlighted. You've got the ta, you've got the ba, you've got lament, and you've got ayin. Each of these letters has meaning. The tav, uh, the tav, you can see the bottom one here, kind of looks like an N. The tav can mean a mark, it can mean a sign, it can mean a cross, a covenant, a seal. The va, the va, the top one there, can mean a nail, thus its shape. You kind of see it looks like a nail. It can mean a peg, it can also mean a hook, it can mean to join two things together. This is kind of how we, when you have different Bible translations in English, this is kind of why, because these verses, or these, uh, these letters can mean different things. But then you got Lamet. Uh, notice its shape. The Lamet is this little, this little uh, hook-looking thing. It looks like a shepherd's staff, if you will. And it can mean things like, it can mean the shepherd's staff. It can mean a, a, a cattle goat. It can mean a rod. It can mean to urge somebody forward. It can mean to teach. And then you have I-N. And I-N can mean the eye, it can mean to look, it can mean appearance, see, to understand something. All of these meanings are associated with these words. Now on this slide, you'll see the four letters I put together. I didn't put the symbols on, I couldn't find good ones. But these four words in the Hebrew, or four letters, make up the four letters in the English. You have the top, the bab, the lament, and the I-N. So if we apply the meaning to each individual letter in the name Tola, we get the following sentences, the variations of. You get a cross and a nail are urging you to see. A covenant is secured by the shepherd look. A mark from the spike will guide your view. See, in one single word in the book of Judges, written centuries before Christ's birth, I believe, lays this prophecy in pretty vivid detail about the coming cross, about the Messiah. Now, the last thing I'll show you before we close, is back in Psalm 22. Jesus essentially said there, as we saw earlier, he said, I am a worm and not a man. 
But the word he uses for worm varies just slightly from our word in Judges. See, Jesus added an extra tab at the end of that word, tola. So he says, I am a worm, a tola at, and not a man. Slight variation. Well, if we apply the, the meaning of each letter to that word, tola at, you'll hopefully understand why on the next slide. You see, the verse now says, if we transliterate it out and put it out, it says, a cross and a spike are urging your eyes to the covenant. A covenant is secured, guiding your sight to the cross. A mark from a nail in the shepherd is viewed a signature, using the different variations, the meanings of those letters. See, it's as if this word found in Psalms 22 is clarifying and narrowing the prophetic word back in the book of Judges. And, you know, the Bible is, is absolutely amazing. Guys, and I don't share this with you this morning just to simply awe you, but I show you these things, uh, and I believe God puts things like this in the Bible to stir up our faith, to encourage our faith, to solidify our faith. You know, supernatural things like this being, being found in God's Word, they help me to keep my faith. They help me to believe and, and prove to me that the Bible is actually God's spoken Word and revelation to us. The same amazing God that reveals himself in the Bible to us sent his son to be a defender for you and I. Jesus is our Tola. He's our defender. Remember that Tola, that the judge, he left his home to dwell in a different tribe. He was a foreigner, not living inside his own tribe's land. The word himself, Jesus Christ, became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Jesus left his throne in heaven to live with his creation here on earth. But why? Why would he do that? Have you ever just meditated on that question? Why, Lord, would you do this? And it's because, as you know, God so loved the world that he loved, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. See, he came because God loves all people, and he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he desires for all people to come to him in repentance. He came because God demonstrated his own love for us in this, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Christ loves you. He wants to spend eternity with you. I know you know that, and I know you know you're blemished, and you're contaminated with sin like I am. And God, though being completely just, had to rightly punish sin, or he himself would cease being just. And God, not wanting then you or I to pay for our own sin, he sends Christ as this Christ child into a feeding trough for beasts. And it's this Christ child that God sent to stand in our place. Instead of desiring to bring you before himself in judgment, God brings Jesus, a man who was perfectly innocent of sin before him, and he instead judges him. Jesus then, having taken your sin and my sin on himself, is then declared guilty by God. And because of that sin, he was sentenced, as you know, to die on the cross. God then punished Jesus on the cross. All of God's righteous anger was poured out on Christ. The anger that rightfully should have been mine. It should have been yours. But then having his anger completely satisfied, Christ died our death, and he lay in that grave for three days. And after Christ lay for three days, he was risen again, showing that the penalty for sin had been, been paid for, and thus proving that Jesus had power over both sin and death itself. Christ then offers to us eternal life as a free gift, solely out of grace. 
The Bible says if we confess our sins to him, or if we confess our mouths and believe in our hearts that God raised Christ from the dead, we will be saved. The Bible says, but to all who did receive him, that is whoever accepts the Lord Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he will give the right to become children of God. You know, we, are, we aren't all children of God by, by default, but only if we come to him in repentance and faith. Let's pray as we, as we close. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And uh, we thank you for Tola and, and for the foreshadow of Christ that it, that it provides for us. God, I thank you for your, your word, your incredibly deep word. That God, sometimes on the surface we don't see a thing. But if we dig deeper, we find the treasures that scripture has to offer us. Father, I pray today that you would put a new love and a new desire in these students. For your word. God, how many high schools are standing for you in this day and age? But let this be one that does. Yeah. Let this be one that, that wears the badge of Jesus Christ proudly. Let them, God, in essence, defend you as they live their life for you as you defend them. Father, let them be unapologetic about their faith in life as they go forward, as we go into different cultural norms and, and, and different the different atmospheres than even I grew up in. I pray you embolden these students. Give them that love for your word. Let them, let them just cherish it. Let them just, just yearn for you, God. Give them a new hunger and a new appetite. God, I pray, I pray blessings on this school. Thank you for it being a light here in Central City to each one of these students. And, and as they carry it forward, God, I know that their light will, will, will come from this place and in, in some cases even go all the way around the world. So we thank you, God, for that. We pray that you just be glorified in the rest of our, our actions today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.